0: Good morning, folks. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Frank. I'm the executive pastor here at Grace Point. Now, if I understand Pastor Mark right, if I have that kind of faith, I can believe someday that my Dallas Cowboys will actually get back to the Super Bowl. (laughs) It just ain't happening this year. It just ain't happening this year. (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. Well, A few months ago, I went to my wife and I said, honey, I would like to get a dog. And this was what her response was. Well, honey, you can get a dog when I die. (laughs) Pretty morbid, don't you think? And so I've been trying to coach her into this idea. She doesn't want a dog because, you know, it's messy in her mind. Too much to have to take care of, blah, 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 blah. Well, last night I had a dream. And, you know, sometimes you remember your dreams. Most of the time you don't, but sometimes you remember your dream. I remembered my dream last night. Last night... In my dream, my wife died. Now, she went to the pearly gates, and she met the apostle Peter at the pearly gates. And Peter welcomed him, greeted her, and said, Brenda, I just got one thing you need to do before I can let you in. And she goes, well, what's that? I just need you to spell a word. Well, what word would that be? Any word you choose. Well, guess what she chose? Dog. Dog. She spells it D-O-G. Peter goes, welcome in, Brenda. So glad to have you in here. Could you do me a favor? Could you just for a few moments watch the gate? I got to go use the restroom, but I won't be long. She goes, well, what if somebody comes in the meantime to the gate? What am I supposed to do? Just tell them they just need to spell a word. She goes, okay. Well, as luck would have it, I die. And I meet my wife at the gate, and as I'm sitting there getting ready to go in the gate, I'm all excited to see her. She looks at me, not so as excited, and she looks at me, and she says, Frank, before I let you in, you got to spell a word. Well, what word is that? She goes, "Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious." expialidocious. <laughs> So I think God was giving me insight last night in my dream that I'm probably not going to get a dog. (laughs) I've said for many years, happy wife, happy life. (laughs) Anyhow, well, folks, for the past three weeks, we've said that God has something very specific to say about our bodies. He cares about our bodies so much that he doesn't want us to neglect it. But at the same time, he doesn't want us to worship it. He has a much better plan for our bodies. Pastor Tim, as he started the series out, he, he shared where there are those that are body neglecters and there are those that are body worshipers. And he confessed that he tends more towards the body neglecter. And I must confess, I tend more towards, at least I have in the past, towards the body worshiper. Pastor Tim and I are at quite a contrast, uh, quite opposite in this, and it reminds me of a movie I saw many years ago, maybe you remember, it came out in 1988, it was called Twins. Do you remember that? Two brothers, uh, they're fraternal twins who were separated at birth, they didn't know they had a brother, and and the core of the movie when they meet each other is the contrast between these two brothers. That's how Tim and I are. The guys that starred in the movie were Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, just guess which one Tim is. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> our bodies were created by Jesus for Jesus to honor Jesus. So, we've been asking the question how do you honor Jesus with your body? Which is a brand new lens for some of us because this certainly applies to our health, our exercise, our diet, all those things. But at the end of the day, the question isn't how fit can I get, nor is it how. How unhealthy can I be and still survive? The issue is, how can I honor him with my body? Last week, we looked at how we can do that with our eyes. And today, as Pastor Tim mentioned last week, we're going to talk about our ears. How do we honor God with our ears? Specifically, how do you honor God with what you, with what and who you listen to or don't listen to? So, as we get started, a show of hands. How many of you know somebody who suffers from the dreaded condition called selective listening? My wife's got both hands up, I'm sure, right now. How many of you are sitting next to somebody with that condition? You say something once, twice, three times, and they go, I didn't hear you. And you're going, it's amazing what you hear and what you don't hear. This condition starts at a very young age, unfortunately. My wife and I have a 14-month-old grandson. His name is Jackson. My wife watches him four days a week. When I come home from work I spent some time playing with Jax, and there are times when I say to Jax those dreaded words, don't touch that. A few moments later, what does he do? He goes back, and he touches it. Now, I know he understands, even at that young age, because when I say, would you like a snack, he goes directly to the dining room where his grandmother keeps the snacks to get him. So I know he knows. We all have a tendency to do this. Brenda will say to me sometimes that she told me something, and will be adamant that she did, and I will look at her like a deer in the headlights, and I'll just have to admit, I have no doubt you told me that, but I have no recollection recollection of you telling me that. Well, I might have some doubt. I don't say that out loud to her, by the way. It's about what has our attention in the moment, or what's going on in our minds. Maybe we're distracted. Maybe there are pressing matters we're trying to deal with and we just don't have the capacity to remember everything that was said. Maybe we're just really forgetful. There are all kinds of reasons we could be selective hearers. But there is a point when listening becomes much more important. You can't tune out certain voices for a long period of time and not be impacted by that. You can't continually tune in certain voices voices for a long period of time and not be impacted by that. Because and here's where we're going today, what and who you are who you listen to will eventually impact what you do. What and who you will listen to will eventually impact what you do. Just as we said last week we pay attention to this when it comes to our kids, but as adults we for some reason think we've outgrown it. We're careful what and who we allow our kids to listen to, at least we should be. And because we know it has a potential to impact what they do, how they think, the things they get stuck in their heart, but the same is just as true for us as adults. What and who we listen to on a consistent basis will begin to impact you over time for bad and for good. When I was in elementary school many, many years ago, I became very uh, conscientious of my nose. Here was the reason. As there was body shaming these days, there was way back then. And my classmates would call me fat nose. At that point, I didn't like it. Now I don't care because I tell people my face finally caught up to my nose. Whether it did or not, that's what I go with, okay? But I remember that. It had a huge, huge, huge impact on me. Then there was the good side of impact. I had a basketball coach when I used to play many years ago who believed in me. I was a scorer, whether uh, my teammates wanted me or not, because I shot a lot. So if you shoot a lot, you're going to score some, right? Well, I would score, and there'd be good games. There'd be bad games. And uh, just like the K-State game yesterday, a bad game for K-State, of course. And I would have bad shooting day, and he would tell me, Frank, keep shooting. Keep shooting. Keep shooting me. I believe in you. This coach influenced me in a positive way with his words of encouragement, and it's caused me to this day to be that way with other people because I feel it's a much more effective way to impact people. And to make it even more complicated, we know there are things and people we should listen to that we don't want to hear from. That's actually the story we're going to look at today. If you've read through the Bible or grew up in church, you've probably heard this story before, but this isn't one of those more popular stories from the Old Testament. It's kind of a tucked-away story, about two kings who got some bad advice. And in the back of their minds, they were getting bad advice. They knew they were. But because the advice supported something they already wanted to do, they chose to listen to who shouldn't. they shouldn't have listened to and to tune out the one person they should have listened to. And in this tucked away story, we gain valuable insight into what we should and shouldn't listen to and how we can honor Jesus with our ears. So if you have a Bible... Or a mobile device and want to follow along, find 2 Chronicles 18. 2 Chronicles 18. While you're getting there, let me give you a little background on this story. Back in 900 BC, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel, and the southern kingdom uh, took the name Judah. And about 50 years after they split is when this story takes place. The northern kingdom's king is Ahab. The southern kingdom's king was Jehoshaphat. Ahab is one of the most well-known kings of Scripture, and not for good reasons. To start, he married a pagan princess named whose name was Jezebel. He instituted a nationwide worship of Baal, a false god, and not the one true and living god. He persecuted the prophets God sent to warn him, murdered an innocent man who wouldn't sell his vineyard to him so he could take the vineyard for himself. He is referred to by the author of the book of Kings as being more evil than all the kings before him. The northern kingdom was a pagan kingdom. They weren't worshiping God. They were worshiping idols and rejecting God. The southern kingdom had remained true to God. But in the first line of the story, we learn something really important. We discover that Jehoshaphat and Ahab had formed an alliance. Now, this is important, not just to the story, but it's important to you and me. When you are in alliance with someone, maybe if it's fraternity, a business partnership, a club, a team, maybe an organization you hold membership in, anytime you're in alliance with someone, they gain leverage in your life. There is a sense in which they have influence over you. And that's how our story begins. So here we go. 2 Chronicles 18, verse 1. Now, Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. He didn't need to, but he did it anyway. Some years later, he went to see Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for him and the people with him and urged him to attack Ramoth-Gilead. Now, I got a personal observation I want to make here. Here's Jehoshaphat, who is a God-fearing king who knew that Ahab was not. Ahab had a history of mocking God. Yet he wanted an alliance with Israel, so he marries off his daughter, which was a common practice to make when you wanted an alliance with another kingdom. Then he listens to a pagan king, and as we will soon see, he shouldn't have. Now, I think Christians compromise their God-given convictions to make peace, keep peace, when they shouldn't, just so they are liked or can simply get along. Now, should we make peace with people who don't believe what we believe? Absolutely. But should we give in to our convictions, what we know is absolutely wrong, and take advice from someone whom we know the advice they're giving is not God-centered? No, I do not believe we should. And that's a great lesson to learn here. Ramoth Gilead was a border town between Israel and a country called Aram. It was a little crossroad town with lots of trading and merchant activity. There was a lot of money to be made here. The Aramians knew this, so Ramoth Gilead was very well fortified. So Ahab whines and dines Jehoshaphat and says, we need to go down and conquer that town and redraw the borders, but I don't want to do it alone. So we pick it up in verse three and he says, it says, Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are and my people as your people. We're all Israelites. We will join you in the war. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First, seek the counsel of the Lord. God, the advice there. This is the equivalent of saying, Ahab, have you prayed about this? But back in those days, if you wanted to know God's will about something, you didn't just pray. You went and found a prophet of God, and that prophet would speak on behalf of God. You didn't take this casually, because if ever turned out you weren't speaking on behalf of God, they stoned you to death. So there were very few people running around going, God told me. There's a lesson to be learned at this point as well that I want to highlight. Often people will come to you and they will say, well, God told me I should tell you something. For those of you that say that, please, 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 for your own sake, only say that if God actually told you to say that, not to get what you want or manipulate a situation. Because what's a person's response supposed to be when you say, God told me? No, he didn't. That's kind of hard to do, okay? If God didn't tell you, it's not like we stone people these days, but I promise you there will be consequences when, you face, when you're face-to-face with our Lord. There will be. So if God doesn't say specifically, tell him I said this, don't do that. You might have your own opinion. You may point to that, but don't say that. And kings now, they would work in tandem with the prophets to discern the will of God. And Jehoshaphat says, I'm with you, Ahab, but maybe we should spend a little time asking God what he thinks about this before we pull the trigger. And so we go to verse 5, and he says, So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I not? Now here, Ahab brings all four of his prophets in. All four of them were on his payroll. They all got a check every two weeks from Ahab, so what do you think they're going to say? Go back to that. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I not? Go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hand. I picture Ahab turning to Joseph at this time and going, Well, we heard from the Lord, let's go. But Joseph thinking, which was wise of him, that was kind of quick, sounded like they knew the answer before you even asked the question. So he speaks up and he says in verse six, But Joseph asked, Is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? He, Ahab brings 400 to him. But Jehoshaphat can see this. He can see something's wrong here and just the way they answered that. Is is this it? Is this everyone? In other words, is there there anybody not on your payroll we can ask? Is there an objective voice we can plug into here? And here's where the story gets interesting. Verse seven, the king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat. There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. So there's this one guy, but I already know what he's going to say, so I didn't invite him. This is the equivalent of, did you ask your dad about this? Of course I didn't ask him. I already know what he's going to say. Did you ask your coach about this? No, I didn't ask my coach. I already know what he's going to say. Did you pray about this? No, I didn't pray about this because I already know what he's going to say. I'm going to listen to people who tell me what I want to hear, agree with me, and filter out any of the bad that I want to hear. That's a great idea, Ahab's thinking, no matter what they actually think about my idea. That's where Ahab was. Even if you've never heard this story before, you can see what's going on here. You know what's coming, can't you? As foolish as Ahab looks at this point, we look just as foolish. We filter out the voice of reason, The objective voice, and yes, sometimes we even filter out the voice of God. We pick it up now at the end of verse 7, and it says, "...the king should not say such a thing," Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, "...bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once." I'm going to let you read the next few verses on your own, but essentially they send for Micaiah. And why they send for him, all the prophets on payroll start this pep rally. They're dancing and chanting and running around with fake horns on their heads saying, you're going to gore the Aramians. They've got their pom-poms doing backflips. They're getting everybody pumped up about this war and they're chanting rock, chalk, Jayhawk. Too soon? And then we join in in verse 12. He says, the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, look, the other prophets without exception are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. In other words, before you go there, Micaiah, things are are going real well right now. We've got momentum. Everybody's excited. Our team's going to win. Don't go in there and mess it up. Go in there and tell the king what he wants to hear. Again, Looking in on this ancient story, we're thinking, how foolish could you be? Why would you want to change or ignore important information, especially information from God? But for some of us, we know exactly what that's like. You've got 400 prophets going, date him, date him, date him, marry him, marry him, marry him. But there's this one person you haven't asked yet. And you don't really want to because they're probably going to ask really good questions and point out some really good points that you've thought of, but you don't really want to say them out loud. So you avoid that person. Maybe you're about to close a deal. You're about to form a partnership or make a purchase. You're right on the doorstep. You've communicated it all to the people you know agree with you. But there's this one person you haven't. And you haven't because you're afraid of what they're going to say. You're committed but you're committed to filtering out common sense, the voice of God and the voice of reason. In verse 13, but Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what my God says. When he arrived, the king asked him, this is Ahab speaking, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I not? Not. And the prophet answers back, attack and be victorious, he answered, for they will be given into your hand. Now, we can't pick up on voice inflection or body language when we're reading scripture, but obviously this voice inflection and body language didn't line up with his words because of what Ahab says next. Verse 15, the king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Ahab hears what he wants to hear, But he knows the difference of this one prophet and the other 400 that are on his payroll. And he knows this one prophet actually speaks for the Lord. So he says, tell me the truth. In other words, don't mock me. I never wanted you here in the first place. But now that you're here, tell me what you really think. So he does. And in verse 16, he says, the Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd and the Lord said these people have no master Let each one go home in peace In other words your army is going to be scattered like sheep because the king the shepherd isn't there Ahab heard a prediction of his own death And the prophet is telling Ahab if he goes to war he's not coming home Not the news Ahab was looking for and look what he does bring him in here? He reigns on my parade. You got people like that? We skip down to verse 25. And the king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Amon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. He tells them the truth because the king forces him to tell the truth and he tells him in prison. people now again we're looking in on this story and it doesn't really matter how old you are what you believe about God or if you're a follower of Jesus or not it's like watching a movie we already know what's coming we already know the voice of the crowd is not the voice to listen to here. we already know that they have something to gain by telling the king what he wants to hear and they're not the people we should listen to We already know the voice of reason has been duct taped and thrown out. We already know the king has made a horrible life ending decision and there's nothing anybody can do about it. So, what does Ahab do? He filters out reality, he filters out wisdom, and ultimately the voice of God. And without even telling you how the story ends, you can figure it out on your own because it's so obvious. And you know what? Our stories aren't less obvious. We get so emotionally attached to our idea our direction, what we want to see happen, that it becomes very, very difficult to listen to the voice of reason or wisdom, and yes, even the voice of God. We have all decisions, we we all have and somewhere in the decision-making process, I could drop in and look at what you're about to do. The voices you filtered out, the voices you filtered in, and figure out whether the decision you're about to make is a good one or a bad one, it would be that obvious. We don't even have to finish the story to know what's going to happen, but I've got a couple minutes left, so we're going to finish it anyway. So here's what they do. They ignore the prophet and go to war, but then something really interesting happens, and this is where you think, Jehoshaphat, time out, man. Are you seriously going to continue to partnership with this nut job? Look at what Ahab says, verse 29. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. Right then and there, Jehoshaphat should have said, nope, I'm not going. Thanks for coming with me, Joseph, for risking your life and your army and all, but I think I'm going to dress like a common soldier today and you dress up in your royal robes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about the foreigner prophets and the pom-poms and the momentum and the chanting? You were pretty confident this was what we needed to do and now you're telling me you're not even willing to stand by your decision and be the king in the battle? Something happened inside of Ahab. It's the same thing that happens inside of us. He was very convincing on the outside. He rallied all the people on the payroll. He convinced Jehoshaphat. He silenced his critics, but in his heart, the words of the prophet rang true. When it came time for battle, all he could hear was these words. Sheep scattered without a shepherd. Sheep scattered without a shepherd. Mark my words, all you people. But his action, by his actions, he actually thought he could skirt the will of God. And so do we. We, for some reason, think we can skirt the will of God by changing our actions like God won't know the difference. Come on, you can argue your husband into silence. You can get your parents to throw up their hands and go, do whatever you want. You've got the board saying, okay, you're the leader. You're so persuasive. You're so sure. You've got PowerPoint slides and stories and illustrations. You've got a closing song, kumbaya, my Lord. You've got everybody convinced, but in your heart, you're not so sure. And it's linked to that one person who had nothing to gain by telling you what you didn't want to hear. But you know it's true. And Ahab knew it was true. So watch how this ends. Ahab's wearing a disguise while Jehoshaphat wears his royal robes. And in verse 30, it says, Now the king of Aram, the enemy, had ordered his chariot commanders, Do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. In other words, find Ahab and kill him. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, this is the king of Israel, because he's the only one dressed like a king. Hello. So they turned to attack him, but Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him. Jehoshaphat made a terrible decision by going into battle with Ahab, and God bailed him out. He almost lost his life being in alliance with Ahab, but God is gracious in this situation. Doesn't always happen that way, but sometimes it does. So look at verse 33 but someone drew his bow at random. This is such a warning to us. Part of the problem when we get bad advice is we say things like this. Don't worry. I'll be careful. Don't worry, staff, board, honey, family. I'll be careful. I realize I'm not following good advice, but let me tell you how I'm countering following bad advice. I'm just gonna be careful. Oh, Then we go ahead and ignore the voice of reason because you're going to be careful. Ahab knows he's ignoring the prophet's advice, but he's made plans to be careful. He's dressed like a regular soldier. They won't even know who he is. But a random archer drew back his bow, fired into the group of troops. And in verse 33, we see what happens. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the breastplate and the scale armor. The king told the chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. And all day long, the battle raged and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Arameans until evening. Then at sunset, he died. Ahab lost his life because he ignored the right voice. You know, people who have lost their marriages because they ignored the right voice. They filter out the voice of reason. We know people, maybe you're one of them. That lost their financial security because they didn't listen to the right voice. They listened to culture. They listened to greed. They listened to what everybody else was doing. We know kids. Maybe you were that kid who lost their freedom. Lost their clear conscience or their innocence because they filtered out the voice of reason. And listened to the 400 that said, oh, it's fine. It's how everybody else thinks. It's how everybody else does it. We've all made horrible decisions, including this preacher. Because what and who we listen to will eventually impact what we do. The question is, what do you do with that? Especially in the heat of the moment, in the middle of the decision, and there's momentum. You've got an alliance, a partnership, you're about to sign the deal, but something is telling you sh- you shouldn't do this, so what do you do? Now, I can't answer for that for you specifically, but I can help you get on the road to discernment. I I can take some of my experiences, experiences of people around me, experiences of people I've talked to, and lay them over your future decisions so you find yourself in a place that you're honoring Jesus with your ears. And the way I want to do that is by asking you five questions. And I think you should write these questions down, by the way. This is how we'll end our time together today. Here's the first question. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Who has your ear? Whose advice do you lean to? Which crowds are you plugging into that are affecting your decision making? Who are you listening to when it comes to your marriage, your parenting, your finances, your relationship with God? You're listening to somebody. Your ears are tuned into somebody. Who is it? Second question. Who do you need to quit listening to? Let's make it really easy to figure that one out. Who do The people that have proved that they love you wish you would quit listening to. Who do your parents wish you would quit listening to? Who does your spouse wish you would quit listening to? Did you know sometimes the person you need to quit listening to the most is yourself? It doesn't make any sense, but we lie to ourselves sometimes. Maybe you need to quit listening to yourself. Question three. Who should you be listening to? Some of you are here today, and you go to church every now and then, and you've been thinking the whole time, I know exactly what he's talking about. I wish I had been heard, I had heard this five months ago, three years ago, whatever time. Perhaps this is your cue to make church attendance a habit. A great churches here in Topeka, but maybe today is your cue to start putting yourself, to hear things that will counterbalance all the stuff you hear throughout the week. Who should you be listening to? Who do you need to bring front and center and dial them in because they're right most of the time? Question four, what do you not want to hear but need to? What's the piece of advice that you're dodging, but it's the very thing you need to hear? The fact that Ahab had the power to throw Micaiah in prison said nothing about the prophet being right or wrong, refusing to listen to what he needed to hear. In question five, whose advice are you resisting because you just don't like the individual giving it? Who are you avoiding that is saying what you need to hear, but you just don't like them? They're not your people. They're a different race than you are. They voted for the other guy. They live on the other side of town. They haven't accomplished as much as you've accomplished. So why should you bother listening to them? What and who you listen to in every stage of life will influence what you do. God will speak to you through other people if you're open. He will. But for some reason, and I don't completely understand this, God doesn't speak. The danger of arguing with God is that he'll let you win the argument. The silence after you've argued with him doesn't mean you're right. It just means he let you win the argument. It's not point, counterpoint with him. He'll just let you win and go off to battle with random arrows shooting their arrows at you. Random archers shooting their arrows at you. It's dangerous. Hear me. It's dangerous to argue with God. Whenever Jesus would teach, he would oftentimes end by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I used to read that as a young believer and think, isn't that everybody? But that's not what he's saying. He laid down some truth. You may not like it, but for the people who want to hear truth, there it is. If you're just looking for support to your decision, your lifestyle, your belief system, you won't hear this, but for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. At the end of the day, whether you buy into that or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, what and who you listen to will influence what you do. So who are you listening to? Who do you need to quit listening to? Who should you be listening to that you've tuned out? What do you not want to hear but need to? And whose advice are you resisting simply because of the person giving it? I want to challenge all of us to pray this particular prayer. I'm going to read this prayer first that I wrote out. It's very short. And then I'm going to ask you to pray sincerely with me if this is you. And this is the prayer. Lord, I want to always be listening to you. I want to hear your voice over all other voices. Please place people in my life that listen to you. May their influence impact my decisions when I'm not hearing your voice. Will you pray that with me? Let's pray. Lord, I want to sincerely, sincerely to always be listening to you. I want to hear your voice over all other voices. Please place people in my life that listen to you. May their influence impact my decisions when I'm not hearing your voice. Amen.